from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is the good atheist. Welcome to the goodatheist.net bonus podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about a variety of subjects, touching on a bit of news, uh, but mostly talking about the preliminary, my preliminary review of Stephen Pinker's new book, The Angels of Our Better Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. Uh, I say preliminary because the thing is a mammoth, and uh, I have only been able to get about 20% into the book despite reading it for 14 hours. So, uh, actually, no, you know, I'm, I'm wrong. It's not 20%. Now that I think about it, I looked, and it, the it's it turns out that at the 75% mark of the book, this is on the Kindle version, yep. uh, it's all notes. Yeah, I heard that uh, there's a large chunk of it that's all just, like, reference points and everything like that. I was, uh, when I was doing a little bit of research for the show, because, uh, you know, I've read stuff about this Pinker book. I've read some, some dissenting commentary from other... From other people about it, uh, one of the things that they've been talking about was how long it was. Uh, an interview with Steven Pinker uh, and Sam Harris. Sam was asking, why is it so goddamn long? <laughs> and uh, Pinker was yeah. basically, it, it had had to be this long, and I had to put this many notes at the end because I wanted to, because this is I wanted just, to prove it. Yeah, this isn't just a, this just isn't just a, a random commentary book. I wanted to prove it, and, and apparently... Uh, he wrote another book several years ago. Um, the Language Instinct that was a beast. I don't know if it's the, it was. It wasn't the Language Instinct. It was. It was the one where he was basically talking about the fact that genes uh, have a lot more to do with with everything. I think than, it's how we evolve or something like that. It, it'll be in the notes. Anyways, he got a lot of flack for that one, uh, and a lot of people saying a lot of what he considered ignorant things. So he really wanted to back this up with tons and tons and tons of facts and and and, and tons of. Uh, you know, case studies and examples and obviously references to those examples so he could just be like, Booyah! Who can blame him? You know, like, I, actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because that was the first that was the first bit of criticism that I had started reading to. Because uh, I do like to read, eventually, when I finish reading a book, I like to go and say, I'm going to read the worst and negative reviews of it to see if they have a point. You know, like... I don't want to just needlessly fall in love because I'll tell you this, all right? When I was starting to write my review of this book, I had to admit that any review that I give about Steven Pinker is going to be garbage because I believe he's one of the most brilliant men on the planet. I mean that. I fucking mean that. I mean, look, there's a group of people that I would put on a fucking spaceship if the Earth was threatened. Steven Pinker would be one of those fucking people. So I'll, right away, you know that whatever I have to say about this is totally skewed the by only, that fact. The only thing I give him is best hair in atheism. Really? <laughs> Here's what I love about him, too. Side note, he's a Montrealer. So, Boy, he's from Montreal? That is correct. What, he grew he... up in Montreal. Oh, that's interesting. Right. You should use that when you try and sucker him into being on the radio show. I am trying to parlay that as we speak. Although, exciting news, just on a tangent, in a, it, hopefully in a couple of days, for I, I hope will be the free show, should it be able to get Lawrence Krauss on, which should be awesome. Uh, for those of you like me... Who don't know who Lawrence Krauss is? I have to explain who he is. Yeah. All right. He if if you don't know who he is, in the notes there is a talk that he gave in 2009 explaining how the universe can come from nothing, 
It's a fantastic talk. Lawrence is extremely knowledgeable. He's he's the kind of guy that I have been wanting to get on the show for a long time because I have some questions, just kind of like I have, uh, you, you know, as I write the book and I, I realize that I'm I'm hitting a, a bit of an end point in some of the questions and, and, and conclusions that I'm reaching. And I can't extend beyond those without actually going to university for a few years. I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I want to... Find some really smart people and convince them to have long conversations with me where I could ask them questions that will ultimately end up making it into the book. That is a hope. Now, if I can do that with Lawrence Krauss, that would be like a slam dunk. I don't know if I can actually do that because apparently I am working within a tight schedule, boy. So I, I don't. This is why I don't know when it's going to be because mm-hmm. they, they're like, well, you you can do the interview, but you've got a time frame, baby. Like it's going to have to happen. You know, it's going to be tight. It's going to be real tight. <laughs> oh, good luck in that. And I know you've been having fun asking a lot of people uh, a lot of questions about all your crazy theories lately. We were just in down in New York this weekend. A friend of ours, uh, Matthew Polly, had a book release party. It was this, this is on our MMA side of things. He wrote a book about his immersion in the ultimate fighting scene. He trained up to have a fight as a 36-year-old out-of-shape man called Tapped Out. But uh, the book release party, his wife is... Uh, Cosmologist, I think. Cosmologist from Columbia University, and so there was a bunch of uh, super scientists at the book release party, and uh, even though she refused to talk to you about it, because she refuses to talk about, uh, like, I don't know, all, all kinds of science things with me, she refuses to talk yeah, about. She doesn't want to do it off the Never. clock. Uh, she did. She was, uh, oh, my friend Jim over there, he's he's into it. and uh, He's an astrophysicist, why don't you ask him? And you know, there, was, there were two questions I asked this astrophysicist, which were burning in, in, in my mind. The first is for a chapter in the book, I make the assumption that uh, trying to communicate with other species at the speed of light, using light as a medium, mm-hmm. is a fucking waste of time because it's just too slow, and by the time it's going to reach anybody that's can be able to decipher it, you're going to be long dead. So fuck it. Sure. And so I've been trying to ask some uh, questions about quantum entanglement and because it's so early and some of the experiments about it have, have shown that yeah there's you know uh, particles out there seem to have some kind of entanglement that seems mysterious you don't quite fucking know what's going on but of course me being me I have some wild ideas about what you could do that mostly probably because I don't understand really the limits of science so whatever You've you've got a fresh mind uh, because Lots of questions. because of your ignorance, you, right? Right. You have a lot of unanswered questions that seem like possibilities. And one of my second uh, question, which the first, unfortunately, I did not get a satisfactory answer. Not because I, I didn't think that he was honest about it, but just because I think I didn't have enough time to formulate your, to the, formulate the, exactly what I was trying to say. But the second part, which, you know, because we were struggling with that, and I was just like, all right, let's move on to something else that I have a few questions about because you're not going to give me any answers. So I figured I'm gonna, I was going to ask him about an idea that I had for a portable uh, shield generator. It was a, a shield. What do, you, what do you mean by shield? Shield what? Well, one of the big problems that you have if you're going to essentially uh, try to explore other planets in, in our solar system with humans is the fact that we can't really protect them from cosmic radiation. Uh, we we didn't have that problem when we sent people to the moon 
because it turns out that the moon is partially protected by the Earth's giant magnetosphere, and you're not out there long enough for the cosmic rays to really fucking matter anyways. It's, you know, it's like going to the dentist a few times in a row. There's some risk involved, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's a fucking Russian roulette of going out of space, because guess what? They shoot you out of there with a fucking rocket. All right? So it's a risky business. Hmm. Unfortunately, that risky business, when you're really talking about extending travel in outer space Going you realize into the deep space into the deep fucking spaces you realize that space is for the most part a lot of nothing and occasional giant rays of death you know like uh, I'll give you a good example let's pretend a neutron star uh, is born in its process it will release a jet stream of gamma rays very concentrated like a like a flashlight and there's, and it's just going to just shoot out there at the speed of light. Because it is light. It's just extremely highly charged particles. The highest charged particles of light. If it hits anything, like any planet, like but if there's a, that horrible chance that it might happen, if it hits that planet, it's like, if there's any life on the surface, I don't care how strong your magnetosphere is, you're fucking dead, dude. That was it. That's the end of it. A fucking neutron star couple hundred light years away exploded and you happen to be unlucky enough to be just in that tiny spot where the ray was going through. So space sucks, man. It's just a lot of nothing and then instant death and, and chaos and disaster. So you need a little bit of protection from that. So I, being a wannabe mad scientist, had a couple ideas about how you would be able to create that. And he gave me uh, the surprisingly positive answer that my shield generator would work, but there was no way unless I actually did some hard science to figure out how, how strong of a field you'd be able how, to generate. How you'd be able to do that in practicality. No, the practicality part of it, I mean, like, you couldn't do it tomorrow, but the, no, the, the, the physics the of it Theoretically, yeah, you could, yeah, yeah. but practically, you can't right now. So. No, you cannot there do this go. right now. But my, my idea would be probably feasible in a few decades. I'm just asking how much it could uh, do. So it was cool, you know, get, getting to talk to some scientists, but God damn it, i got to tell you guys... I want to do that more, and I'm really trying to find opportunities to do that. So uh, if there are any people that are listening to the show that are either scientists themselves or can hook me up with people that they think I should talk to, uh, let me know. Send me an email. It's jake at thegoodatheist.net. Uh, it would definitely help me. I mean, I can't finish this book without really starting to interview people, ask them, asking them the, 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 the questions that I can't answer, and, and really probing probing them like an alien like a Roswell alien in in just all of the deepest holes possible hmm. <laughs> the crevices of knowledge that's where I have to dig <laughs> with my probe okay let's I, I want to talk about the first subject this is a really short little bit of news I wanted to mention it only because I thought it would make people's day because it's a it's good news it's positive news man would make people stay no, no, makes pe make people's day. Oh, make people's day. Okay, <laughs> make them stay because it's atheism as as uh, as an atheism related topic as opposed to a scientific topic. I'm sorry, I have mush mouth. Uh, I was unable to sleep last night, so I'm I'm still all fucking messed up from our trip. I think it. I, I had a Red Bull, and I think it totally fucked me up. <laughs> Happens. I think that's a common story. But yes, the the bit of news that I wanted to mention was that in in Dublin. Uh, they have shut down their Vatican embassy. It's over. They kicked them out. They said goodbye, Holy See. We don't want you here. The Irish. So long. Are, the Irish are pissed, man. They are so fucking pissed. 
I mean, who who won't be who wouldn't be after the Ryan report? The I think it's the Cloyne report, just showing not only the extent of the abuse, which is what the Ryan report showed, uh, but the second report showed the. The, the efforts by the Vatican to really conceal the information, to keep it, uh, to, to make investigations difficult, and to tell priests not to reveal any, from, and any information until the statute of limitation on rape had expired, specifically that statute. So I think Ireland was like, you know what, you can fuck yourself. <laughs> they had enough. And the Irish really, uh, you know... They embraced the church. Uh, the church had its hands on everything in, in their society and in their, in their culture. So it really must have felt like a, a complete betrayal of everything. Well, it's interesting that there. here's a quote from a Vatican diplomatic source who demanded anonymity. And here's what he had to say. He says, this is really bad for the Vatican because Ireland is the first big Catholic country to do this. And because of what Catholicism means in Irish history. So... This guy was like, "Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. This is uh, this kind of thing. If it keeps happening, it can't it can't improve." And you know what? Like, here's here's the beauty of the fact that they're uh, increasingly in Europe say they're taking austerity measures is the fact that they're saving almost two million dollars a year by shutting down that bullshit embassy. So that's pretty good. You can go to a lot of uh, other things, yeah? No, oh, you know, it's peanuts. It's, uh, you know, around what they paid Margaret Thatcher to just be Margaret Thatcher. Hey, man, so. it's, 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 it's about taking, taking those easy, easy ones. You're like, oh, we, we're spending $2 million on these child uh, rapists. How mm. about we don't? Yeah, there, there are times when, when people are talking about budgets, this is what I really hate. Uh, when when they talk about something that you could do that would you know raise this much money for uh, or raise this much money or, or or you'd save this much money by doing this and they go oh it's only a hundred and twenty million dollars and that's really a drop in the bucket when you're talking about a budget it's like maybe it's that kind of thinking that's gotten us into all of these problems in the first place the fact that you consider a hundred twenty million dollars a drop in the bucket how about we get that uh, that attitude out of government and then maybe we'll stop Seriously. wasting millions of dollars. Yeah. Why are millions wasted? Because we think that millions are drops in buckets. P.S. We can't feed anybody the poor and we can't help anybody that falls. You're just going to have to fend for yourself on the streets. It's excuse be... me. Excuse me. The poor are lazy, Ryan. They're poor because they're lazy. 99% of all people are lazy. Well, we'll find out because <laughs> uh, you know all those poor people, either they'll lay down and die or they'll rise up. Well, uh, maybe we should segment over to uh, Stephen Pinker's book, Why Violence Has Declined. Well, uh, we, The we, Angels we, of Our Better Nature. Which Why unfortunately kind of points to the fact that maybe we won't rise up, even though it's yeah. in our probably in our best interest. The If I had to say make a prediction after reading Stephen Pinker's book, it would be that there will not be a violent uprising. That is, that's not likely to happen because take a look at our the trend of history. All right, and and this is what is probably the first reason why this book is just so large, is that he's decided that he was he basically said I'm going to take the broadest view I possibly can, and this is probably where the first criticism comes from, right? So Stephen Pinker decided in his book that he was going to use homicide rates as a way of measuring violence. He's like homicide is a good way to measure other types of violent crimes, rape. Uh, you know, uh, uh, beatings, so wh whatever a violent crime you can fucking think of, homicide will be a good way to 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 gauge the relative other crimes. Let's say, okay. 
And the first thing he decided to do is that he wanted to compile a, a, a data set that showed, well, what are what were ancient people's homicide rate? Which is the first thing, obviously, you're gonna have, the problem you're going to have is that someone's going to say, well, where's the data coming from? Yeah. Right? We don't have a lot of data from pre-state Entities, <laughs> groups, tribes—they didn't tend to really leave that kind of thing. Well, right? even if they did write it down, it usually got burned by the people who murdered them all. <laughs> right. So already you don't have a good source. But the cool thing is, and I feel that this is still something that people have, you know, uh, uh, totally ignored, is that there actually are examples of non-state humans in today's society. Not every human being lives in the yoke of their state government okay there are many tribes out there that don't have this kind of state you know that they're they live the same way that we lived 30,000 years ago not much has changed now the first criticism that some people have uh, that I've read is is that well this may not be an adequate representation of what we used to be like because this is the now modern age which I would say sounds like a retarded argument I'm like well they are still the same kinds of people that we are. They're just in a different environment. Wouldn't this be a perfect example for us to examine what pre-state cultures were than the existing pre-state cultures that we have now? Not quite sure if that's a legitimate criticism, but, you know, it we'll, we'll allow it to throw a tiny bit of doubt in there. You're saying, well, maybe these pre-industrial societies could be influenced by us in some fucking way. It does seem like there are a certain amount of assumptions being made in the data set at that point. Okay, so, sure. And, And I think that it's important... To understand that when you're writing this kind of book, right, or even when you're doing uh, science, you're going to make a lot of generalizations. And, and you know what? The first thing that I, I think this is a, a fairly modern problem is that we have a huge problem with generalizations. In fact, if I say the word, you think that's a bad thing. You're like, the generalizations are bad. But don't make generalizations. You're like, that's what science does, actually. You, you have to make generalizations or else all you have are a bunch of fucking anecdotes that don't make any sense that you're not trying to piece together in any fucking way shape or form and plus society nowadays tends to have a tends to have a problem with anybody trying to set up an objective truth if if there's only that one answer you know that whole view from nowhere with reporting that usually tries to cover all sides of the story even though most of them may be completely stupid anybody trying to set up an objective reality by saying this is how it was you're always going to have to have people coming out and saying well probably not well here's here's a here's a classic example of an of of what people were saying or disagreeing is that one of the earlier chapters is where he talks about how one of the first steps where you go from a non-state group let's say the inuit or the kung people or you know the papua new guinea uh, tribes that in non-states, the rate of homicide is significantly higher than even extremely oppressive and brutal states. And that fact alone, I think, is the first one that's really difficult for us to understand. It doesn't seem intuitively true, right? We have this concept of, I think, the noble savage of groups of, of tribesmen not necessarily being that violent. And if you ask, well, shouldn't a liberated group of human beings living in a quasi-paradise act more peacefully than people that are in a very repressive and tyrannical environment. And when the truth is that actually the tyrannical environments are more peaceful, relatively speaking, to the rates of homicide 
then now you're going to have something that that goes against what you what we would call your common sense judgment, right? Your predisposition, your 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 pre your preconceived notions of what it must be like to live out in the state of nature compared to whatever repressive fucking state of being you're currently living in. But the problem we have now is that we live in a civilized state, right? We've already gone through this whole rigmarole. So we're trying to associate the way we currently feel about humanity and assume that that's the way that humanity has felt about itself since we really started being the species that we are. And I think that that's so naive, it's, it's, it's disturbing. You know, like, Pinker's not trying to make an argument in the book that t tyrannies are desirable, because that's only the first part of the civilization process, right? Where in the state, in, in, the state is basically where you make a contract with a power, in, his, in, in the case of what he talks about, is Thomas's Hobbes' Leviathan, so a, a, some, someone of authority. In, his, in, in Hobbes' case, it was the divine right of kings, right? The authority rests with the king because that's what they could identify with. And the king himself could bring other fiefdoms and small other groups under his control once they started to, to uh, once the social contract morphed into any, any egregious act, any act of violence against a citizen of the king became, uh, uh, was violating the king himself, not the individual. And I think that this is a huge transition from the way in which we used to deal with violence as a species, where it became something that was uh, a, a kind of one-on-one -on -one issue, right? You hit me, I hit you back. You stab me, I stab you back. This is where a lot of violence actually comes from. Our need for immediate justice, when, when we feel as though we've been wronged, when you put when you when you actually forgo some much of your freedom in response to this leviathan what you have now is a disassociation between that act so if you wrong me like if you stab me you've actually wronged the king so the king will prosecute you but it turns out that even his prosecution will be probably fairer and less violent than what i would have immediately done to you at least during non-state times and maybe this is a shocking and disturbing thing for most people who read this book who refuse to believe that we're like this. And I think that these people are absolutely blind to the fact that this is actually going on all the time now. You know, it, it, it's not really talked about or understood, uh, but violence against human beings in a callous level or, or even a level that you didn't think imaginable is happening all the time. But you and I are wussies. You know what I mean? We're, we're civilized. We, we literally are. We, our rate of murder is a thousand times less than non-state entities. And yet we look at these places and we're like, wow, what nostalgia. Wish we could go back to a simpler time where 30% of men would be killed by other men. Like, the odds of you dying at the hands of someone's fucking spear? One in three? Do you want to go to that? I mean, sure, go live in the fucking woods with your little sack in front of your nuts. Enjoy the freedom of life and then get brutally murdered. Hmm. Well, one of the big, one of the big uh, criticisms of of how Pinker kind of laid this all out is that, you know, we are living in a in a, in a time right now where where the Americas and Europe and and some other places are are basically in a situation where where we are 
everything has become much more civilized. We have that strong state that, that takes care of a lot of the justice, which removes the need for, for everybody to get all vigilante and, <laughs> right. and, and eye for an eye. But uh, first of all, there's a large portion of the world that is still kind of uh, not there yet. And a lot of fucked up stuff still happens there. And number two, uh, things have only been this way for 100 years, which in the scale of history is but a blip. Well, and and, and we see we see how wrong it could go and how murderous. I mean, we have, we have situations that could play out that could make World War II look like patty cake. And that obviously makes us realize that while violence might have gone down, uh, the better angels of our nature, have they really taken over? Or is this just a, a situation where where the barbarians are just kind of being held back, where our murderous nature is being held back by a current st stalemate of sorts, and that sooner or later the dam will break and we will just mass murder everybody. But this is a, see, this is a classic example of a, I, I think that a person who criticizes the book with that point has not bothered to read this fucking mammoth because that very point I think is addressed extremely succinctly when he when he mentions the dangers that any state has let's let's say when early states began to move towards the peace process where the thought of England and France going to war just seems like a fucking impossibility nowadays right it's just like this is incomprehensible the reason it's incomprehensible is because there was a time where showing altruism would have been a sign of weakness and would have immediately demanded that a nation try to take over. And a lot of it has to do, I think, with what he talks about later on, which is the revolutions that we've experienced, the reason why we're more peaceful, has a lot to do with the fact that, number one, we empathize with human beings better than we used to. And a good example is and uh, you know, talking about lots of the... Uh, lots of ways in which we started going from accepting that torture was okay to the 17th and 18th century where we're just, nah, you know what, no. We're kind of sick of torture. It's pretty awful. And it took, it was a very rapid development because torture wasn't one of those things where, you know, today when we hear about it, even the people that support torture, I don't think they really understand what torture used to be. Uh, I read one complaint that said that a person's like, there's a lot of graphic stuff in here. This is a book on violence, okay? I don't know what you were fucking expecting. It's a book on violence. So if he's going to tell you the realities of people getting sawed, sawed in half or broken on the rack, you just have to accept that once upon a time, not so long ago, not only was this acceptable, but people went to go see this, okay? This was a public spectacle. Now, if you're wondering, what, how did we go from the point where this is a public spectacle to the point where we realize that that's bad? I think that has a lot to do with what he said again, where in the humanitarian revolution, this is, a, this is the recent development since the 18th century on, the Age of Enlightenment in, in a way, when hum, humanism started to really pick up, what you have is, you, you, you know, with the invention of the printing press and so on and so forth, and the the existence of the exploratory novel where, you, where people are actually able to put themselves in the em, uh, empathic perspective of individuals they never would have had the chance to do that before. I think what we have now is a, a greater range of empathy, right? Where previously we didn't care if a cat was being burned alive, but now the thought itself is sort of like, this person is a psycho, we should lock them up. Uh, up until the 1800s, they were in, in, in England, they were doing something called bear baiting, where they tied a bear to a post and had attacked dogs 
go at it until everybody, all of them died. That's, can you imagine that happening now, right? This is, this seems like completely impossible. And even the, I mean, you said it before, well, the whole, the rest of the world isn't where we are yet. Yeah, That's true. I mean, you, you still got parts of the world where stuff like that goes on. Cockfights in Mexico, dogfights in, well, again, Mexico. But, but I think. <laughs> well, I guess they Stop actually. Stop blaming across, Well, across the Mexico. southern United States, dogfighting still happens underground illegally. Well, look at this. The, well, I mean, he mentioned, Pinker has, uh, in his book, mentions a lot about the anomalies of the United States. Why is it different? Why is it an outlier in terms of the rest of the why Western countries? Why is it countries? kind of sitting a little bit more on the Still, violent side? Yeah, why rest? is it so fucking violent? Like, there was, I think in the Old West, this, in, in Wyoming, there was this one town where the murder rate was one in four, okay? One in four. In the worst places in the West... You might have expected a hundred in every hundred thousand, but in that one town, it was twenty-four thousand to one hundred thousand death rates of homicide. I mean, ten for every hundred thousand seems like a lot for us now because we're, you know, at least in Canada, we're somewhere between one and two. But that's that's enough in that slight increase for us to have just suddenly assumed that the world was falling apart when, say, in medieval Europe. It was closer to about 150 to 300 per 100,000 murder rate. So this is a huge, huge fucking difference. But even that is tiny compared to the percentage of people that would suffer, uh, you know, from, from death at the hands of other human beings in pre-state societies. I think that a big part of the reason why he received criticism, and I'm sure that Pinker was aware of this, is that he was criticizing what is often considered by anthropologists as this concept of the noble savage, right? That people in, say... That, that, that the world is like fucking Avatar, and uh, yeah. I will I will fly with you, we will get along. That the natives never warred, or you know, never All killed peaceful, each other. get together, smoke a pipe, not eat each other's hearts, and slaughter each other's tribes, and just wipe each other out. Or play, you know, lacrosse with your enemies' heads, or any of those things. Or actually eat your enemies like they're which which fucking happen like you you look at populations that have specific genes designed to combat invasive prions that you normally get you remember the bad cow disease it's caused when you eat your own species and sometimes prions get loose and make your brain go fucking crazy because protein folding has changed well we have genes that allow us to fight these because many of our ancestors who ate uh, other people this has happened so yeah and, and and of course we don't want to really face that reality because to some degree I think we've romanticized this this image because you know what to the, here's the thing if, if I was to tell you that in, in pre-state societies the, the murder rate got as high as say 500 or even 1,000 per 100,000 th- those numbers are terrifying to us but even within those numbers I mean th- that's still violent crime right and and if you look at statistics of crime around the world you'll find that most crime is caused by a, a, a sort of a select few individuals, right? It's not, it's not as widespread as you think. It's just say a huge, maybe half of the crime is done by a tiny fucking select amount of guys who are just the biggest pieces of fucking shit. But they make life exceedingly hard and miserable in places where they're allowed to roam free. You know, in in, in places where we incarcerate them. 
regardless of what you think that uh, you know whether or not there's a better system it still does better than allowing them to roam around with gangs of marauding murderers you know fair like, enough and 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 those marauding murderers can do a lot of fucking damage a lot of damage like how many if you if you look at the crusades right the percentage of deaths attributed to the crusaders during their pilgrimage in, 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 say, the 11th century, in the 15th century, I think it's the 15th, well, don't quote me on that, but anyways, is essentially equivalent to the genocide, the, the Holocaust, in terms of death rates and, and how much they managed to kill. But they didn't have gas chambers, they just had swords, okay? Do you know how many people you have to cut through with the sword when you, when you have that high percentage? It must have been nuts. Nuts. It was up close and personal, I'm sure. Oh yeah, I mean there are stories of people standing in pools of blood up to their knees, just of blood everywhere because there's so many dead people. Just uh, yeah, like I, I think we are really isolated when we when we see violence. I mean, we'll watch a video. This is uh, this is in the notes. You should check this out. But there's a video. It's kind of a lame story, but it, it's on CBC. There was an autistic kid who was being yelled at by an Ottawa bus driver. Who told him that he was gonna? He need to shut his fucking mouth, and he was gonna get punched in the face, right? So somebody took a video of that, and it was news, and people were outraged and like, this driver should be fired, and blah blah blah. We are such pussies, okay? But I love it. I love the fact that we're, the, we're this pussyish, where a kid gets yelled at by a bus driver, and now we're like, action needs to be taken. Where back in the old days, if a guy got put, you know, you know, in those things there where your head goes in and your arms stick out when they used to throw tomatoes at you. Oh yeah, when they put you in the, I don't want to say stocks, the stocks, right? Well, here's the thing, that seems fun and 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 jovial as a punishment, right? Well, most of the time people would just be strangled to death in those things and just die and and get hit with rocks and things so hard that you would just not recoup. You would well, just lay down. And die. You know, you know that way where you're kind of like stuck, bent over, ass out. If if you were a woman in the stocks, you were free to be used by whoever just wanted to use you. That's how fucked up it was, and they, it wasn't just like wasn't any kind of even your imagining of how it went is probably nowhere near as horrible people would go and stuff things up these people's asses and just they would like basically just tear them apart until they just died of internal bleeding it's quite horrible it, yeah and, and the, 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 the reality when when you get up close and personal with the reality of how things were in the middle ages uh, is so much worse than than anything that we imagine based on you know what we pick up from watching that that version of Robin Hood where from Disney where it's the fox and all the animals. <laughs> we just we just have a really weird vision of how everything was. You know we don't we don't quite understand how dirty and miserable and violent and crazy it really was. Right, but because but at the same time I think it's also because it's not always that. You know, it would sure. be unfair to paint that picture. But we, we mentioned before that we went to New York for that book signing uh, or that, that book release party. And at the book release party, it turned out to be an underground, uh, unsanctioned MMA fight that was happening there because the state of New York does not have legitimate legal MMA. So you can still get away with it if it's an amateur fight. It's just unsanctioned. Eh, well, I mean, the way it kind of works is you can still get away with it if the venue is secret and the people and the crowds are small. I, I don't, 
I don't know so much about that whole like legal loophole. If they caught them doing it, I think it's still technically illegal. They I just know. do it anyways. I don't know. Anyways, it was, it was just that doesn't matter. the The point was, I mean, it, and it didn't even matter. It's not as though I was worried at any point someone's going to die. Okay, like I've seen many worse fights where guys just look like they're just totally never going to wake up again. And most of the time, I find that amateur guys just don't have a lot of killer instinct. <laughs> they don't have the skills to put somebody. They into don't. A they don't. Yeah, they're a bit clumsy. They just, I don't know. They're slow. But that's not the point. The point was that people who were watching in the audience, individuals who weren't used to that kind of violence, were had to look away. Were felt like nauseous. It was really hard for them to watch two people punch each other voluntarily in the face, mind you. And I think what was most surprising probably for those people after the fight was the fact that the guys hugged, that they seemed happy. I remember one woman was like, why does he look so happy? He just got punched in the face. And I'm like, I don't think you understand what just happened. He probably got a whole bunch of dopamine. That was probably awesome. And he's going to feel the pain later. But these guys do it because it, there's something pleasant about it. There's a part of our nature that embraces violence. That It's a reason why it's part of us. I think, though, that in that case, is we have to really understand how can we cope with our violent nature, right? I like MMA because I think that that's one healthy way of doing it. I find that if you had a choice between having marauding bands of violent men going around with AK-47s or just going up in a cage with sanctified rules, <laughs> clear uh, objectives... I would rather that, you know, like in most countries that have found uh, declines in violence among young men, it's because they've put a soccer ball down or a basketball court or have just organized our violent impulses into much more competitive stylized versions of them. And that's an acceptable form of violence. But we, if you start to ignore that part of humanity, I think that's when the danger really occurs, where you become weak because you're like, oh, human beings are basically good. I don't need to worry about other human beings. What are you, nuts? I mean, as much as they are your friends, there are a few people out there that are your worst enemies. I mean, there's not a lot of super animals out there that I'm afraid of, but there are a few fucking uh, crazy-ass naked apes that, uh, yeah, scare the shit out of me. Scare the fucking shit out of me. They should scare everybody to death. They're smart. They're capable. They can manipulate all kinds of scary technology. And uh, individuals can have a huge impact on history. Uh, you know, no Hitler, no Holocaust, no Mao, no... Uh, no no cultural revolution. Yeah, no Stalin, no purges. So, yeah. individuals can uh, can accomplish a lot. It's kind of scary. <laughs> you can achieve anything. If you just put your murderous fucking thoughts behind it. <laughs> Sometimes you should just probably stay home and smoke a J. Yeah. Instead of just deciding that you're going to be something. Not everyone should strive to be something. That's all I'm saying. Just just be one of the 99 percenters. Don't matter. <laughs> okay, the last thing we're going to talk about, because I don't want to complete this review of Pinker's book, because I'm not done, right? I don't think it's fair. But I did want to talk about it preliminarily, because it is, it is fairly large, and I'm sure by the time I'm finished the last uh, half, or I, I don't know how much far further I need to go, but I'll, I'm sure I'll have lots of different things to say. So... The goal is eventually to get Pinker on, but who knows if that can happen. Uh, one thing at a time. He folks. might be too busy combing his hair. He might be too busy combing his hair, yeah. It's glorious 80s hair. Curly Jew hair. That's what he's got. Is that what it is? Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah he's got the Jew fro. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. Well, he's a Montreal, I believe he's a Montreal Jew, so <laughs> he's got that whole... He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Montrealer, man. We could totally talk about bagels and smoked meat sandwiches. 
<laughs> the last thing I want to talk about, and this is probably where I would say 50% of the people will probably tune out, which is where I talk about some of the things that are going to come up with the new version of the site. And when I try to communicate with the people out there that may have been having some frustrations with their accounts or stuff like that, saying, hey, am I still a member? Or I tried to renew and I don't know what's going on. As some of you know, know because I posted this on, we're currently going through a site redesign. All right, this is the first important thing about it. And the site redesign is going to have some elements. Now, I don't want to promise you the, the moon here because I don't know if I can fucking pull it off, but the first thing that's going to happen regardless is there's going to be a form and uh, an opportunity for people to start really discussions and track them well. Like, I'm going to make sure that that happens because I want the community of Good Atheists to grow. I know that there could be such a fucking great community of people. I mean, there's so many people listening to the show who are funny, who already post, like, great comments. Like, I'm in the comments section all the time on the site. I read people's comments endlessly because uh, so many people have interesting things to say, you know, funny perspectives, shit like that. Like, I'm not the only funny motherfucker in this group. A lot of you guys are. So I want to give you that environment. And that's part of what the new version of the site is going to entail. So... We're, we're, we're talking about, you know, sort of uh, the top, you know, form topics, discussions, and I'm hoping also to be able to add polls to be able to get people to give feedback and, and things like that. Because I've been asking folks, like if you're, if, if you're on Facebook and once in a while I might poke you saying like, hey, can I ask you a few questions? It's because I'm asking you some some, some some kind of unofficial survey questions asking you whether or not you use the notes for the show or if you ever go to the site or if you've watched some of the videos that we've actually produced which I know that most of you who listen to the show have not actually they have not checked out the videos a lot of people just uh, subscribe on iTunes and just listen yep and you know I just realized today why our numbers seem to be growing so quickly I took a look at on iTunes and if you do a search for atheism and go to the podcast section, not only are we still highly ranked, but actually the selection of podcasts to choose from is overwhelmingly good atheist shows. Uh, so I think it's actually coming from there. Like People are just sort of clicking on curiously on the show, so lots of new people are being exposed. Uh, but like most things, you know, only a percentage stays. <laughs> but yeah, we're, 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 we're growing really rapidly, and I'm, I, I figure everybody's been asking me this for a long time. You know, they're like, we want a form... We want a place to discuss. It's just that, you know, I didn't really have a way to do that without it completely sucking all of my life away because it is more work. It's not always, it doesn't always have uh, immediate dividends in terms of the labor versus the, 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 the time spent. But I've, I think I've managed to be able to figure out a way around that. And, and, and hopefully, and this is, a, this is kind of like the, the big plan, is I'll be able to introduce the opportunity for people to uh, free members and stuff like that to eventually work for shows as uh, as opposed to me just releasing them willy-nilly you know what I mean like I want to reward participation people talking about it like for instance one of the big reasons why we actually started appearing more on iTunes is that people have been leaving positive reviews on iTunes they've been uh, giving it a lot of stars we just recently we got a whole bunch of new stars uh, the positive reviews are the ones that pop up first because people are finding the positive reviews relevant. Oh, that's There's good. a lot you can do to just fucking spread the word. It's just from liking shit, man. I remember a while ago I checked on the comments and there were people were like, they say fuck too much. Yeah. Which we probably do. But I know, but they're th- those are being buried. And fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a problem with my language, suck my dick. <laughs> You're not going to like the show anyways. I mean, the first thing I ask a person if they, before they listen to the show, do you have a problem with cursing? If they're yes... 
then don't listen to the show. Okay? Just don't listen to the show. I don't, I don't want you to. Or at least tolerate it. Yeah, sure. It's like tolerate. when you're watching Goodfellas. Goodfellas is a great movie. A lot of cursing. You're not going to not watch Goodfellas because of the cursing. Or you're not no, going to watch the TV version. Are you, are you friendly with my wife? Are you friendly with my wife? What the fuck does that even mean? Uh, I love that TNT edited down Goodfellas version. Oh, that was it's really like an hour version. shorter than the real version. I also love the, um, the, the usual suspect. You sock sucker! Sock sucker. I even think that's worse than cocksucker. I don't even want to know a sock sucker. You're a disturbed human being if you're a sock sucker. We need more cocksuckers, honestly. We, we do. Mm. I think we do in this world. So, um, also, here's a few changes that are going to happen. We're going to introduce uh, the, the, the system that I'm trying to use is something called BuddyPress, which allows people to put profiles and things like that. So I want to really encourage people to actually put... Uh, tons of like cool information to start groups and things like that we're going to see where we can take it i'm not gonna make any promises because i don't know how you guys are going to respond to it and normally when i do something it's glacially slow so i but i I want you guys to know that if what's going to happen in the next few weeks is i'm going to finish the initial design i'm going to put it up and then i'm going to ask a lot of you guys to essentially renew right at that point because we're going to need your support to get this fucking thing off the ground and, of course, a lot of you that were wondering, like, is my membership expired? I can't seem to upgrade. The, the problem is the system is shit right now. And you can't change it without changing everything. And I, I, I don't want to keep it. It's, it's garbage. You know, I was just using it because it was just simpler that way, but it was a compromise. It seemed like a good idea at the time when we, when we started using it, but it turned out that the plug-in that we used to handle membership barely worked. Well, it's, it barely works, and I think that a lot of people, they will confess that it's not... It's not clear, you know, like there is a way for you to renew your membership and, but it's not easy. I would have to make you, I would have to make a video explaining how to do that. That's stupid. Okay. That doesn't, I don't want a system where it's that complicated. And the company that I, that I use the plugin for, that I pay the license for, they don't want to open their code up for me to be able to change it. So guess what? I don't want to keep using their shitty system. I I want to use my own system and and I want that system to be able to, get people who are fans of the show, you know, like the freebie members that are still the majority of our members, you know, the people that are explore the content once in a while and maybe aren't members for legitimate fucking reasons, I'd still like them to listen to the show. And I want to build that fucking system to make it happen. That's the plan. And I, I figure it's probably going to be the first week of December by the time I'm finished because I'm about a half done the new design, but I've, knowing me like every every once in a while I have a, a new bold idea and 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 <laughs> I push the deadline back a little bit but I think I've managed to curb that desire I think I've 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 actually uh outlined it so right when that happens uh we're going to make an announcement we're going to show uh case what it is and then hopefully by then we're going to have our live po- we're going to have a live podcast when Carissa comes back to Montreal that it'll be uh, that'll act as a kind of a telethon if you want for the show, so you guys can call in and uh, you know, uh, well, we'll have a whole bunch of, of of things lined out and 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 stuff like that. So it'll be a really cool show that you guys can tune in, and that'll be to try to create some some awareness and 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 interactivity from the fans and start showing saying like, hey, we're gonna take it to the next level, guys. We're gonna actually start being uh, a community like. I think we could have a lot of fun. I think you guys could probably make a lot of friends from other people who listen to the show that uh, you you'd never know. And that's the that's the plan for the that's the plan for the sites. That is the future. That Sounds very exciting. 
I, I hope everybody's excited. If you are excited, let me know. Write me an email. Say if you'd uh, love to be part of the beta when it comes out. Uh, I already posted something on the site. We had great responses from people. I want more of them. So right when we launch, we'll be able to just uh, really test it out really relatively quickly. I would love to not spend too much time in beta. And having a big beta group at the beginning would, will be awesome in that. And if you were right at that stage where you were wondering, ha, ah, should I support get atheist, blah blah? Yeah, it's time to it's time to start time to start supporting. If if you really want to see this project happen, let, let let's do it, guys. Let's fucking do it. Okay, well with that, I think we're gonna call it a show. I'd like to thank Ryan for uh, for putting up with me this whole show while I was mostly doing all the talking. Oh, that's okay. That makes them easy. <laughs> and thank you for everybody for contributing to the site. Trust me, once you guys see the new design, you're going to be so fucking excited. I have... It's my swan song. This is what I've wanted the site to be for a long time. I don't want to make uh, too many compromises. I want to make it what I dream. And, and when I show you guys, I want to make that proposal. I'm going to count on a lot of you to, 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 to support me. And I think that... It's not unreasonable for, for, for me to. You guys have been asking that for years. I'm going to show you what the money is. I'm going to show you what the fuck I want to do. And it's going to be up to you guys to decide if uh, you want me to do it. With that, my name is Jacob Forte. And I'm Ryan Harkness. Have a good atheist day, everybody.